Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. If you need cheering up today, keep listening. I'm talking to my third inspirational orca, Katie Day, author and motivational speaker, whose passion is helping women embrace their midlife. Katie's so brilliantly positive about life as a postmenopausal woman. I guarantee you'll finish this pod with a smile on your face, ready to tackle the world. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Now, I first saw you on your brilliant TEDx talk, The Roar of the Menopause, and In it, you talk about your precocious puberty. Now, this was something that I'd never even heard of. I mean, I didn't know it existed. Can you talk us through that? Yes. In fact, it's only recently I actually discovered that it was called precocious puberty. All I can remember is the experience of my childhood. Uh, Puberty, the average age is 11 for boys and girls in the UK. 8 to 14 is a natural age for puberty. So if puberty kicks in under the age of eight, it's called precocious puberty. And I actually only discovered the official medical term relatively recently. So my periods actually started when I was two, but they stopped and started properly when I was five. I mean, two, it must have been utterly terrifying for my poor mother. (laughs) For any mothers out there, can you imagine the horror of your two-year-old suddenly having a period? Anyway, but it stopped. Then it started again at five. So I was in Great Ormond Street Hospital and having various tests. And I was actually doing some research for a degree that I'm in the midst of, an MA. So I was researching precocious puberty. And then I discovered, because I was having wires stuck on my head, And I discovered that one of the reasons for precocious puberty is a a brain tumour. So I thought, oh, so that's why I have wires stuck on my head at the age of five, the Great Ormond Street Hospital. (laughs) They were checking for a brain tumour. Checking for a brain tumour. That was ruled out, luckily. And any other uh, medical explanation was ruled out. And it was just, just one of those things. My body decided to kick in earlier than the average by six years. At the age of five. I've got a five year old and they're babies. I didn't even think that was possible. I know. What, how? Oh, but so how did this, <laughs> how did this affect you then growing up? Hugely, actually. And I'm only really becoming aware of the impact that it had because we get on with life, don't we, as human beings? And particularly females, I think, because our hormones throw an awful lot at us from puberty through to postmenopause, and part and parcel of being a female you know we've got these hormones they kick in we start our periods some women sail through some women don't so I just got on with life but primary school was really challenging because I couldn't go swimming once a month and I didn't know how to explain that to my classmates we all got changed for games in the same classroom I was the only child at primary school wearing a, a very decent sized bra by the time I was seven. Oh, so it wasn't just your periods it was the whole developmental so no. boobs and everything <gasps> the whole kit and caboodle no. India. oh my god 
And I remember about the age of eight getting changed for games. And one of the boys said, oh, you got bigger tits than my mum, which is probably true, but not what I wanted to hear. Not what you want to hear at eight. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, uh, Katie. That's so hard. So I hated primary school. Hated primary school. Secondary school was better because it was all girls. Right. And presumably people were starting to catch up with you. Well, they were. Yeah. I wasn't the only one having periods and wearing a bra at 11. I was at primary school, interestingly, but at secondary school, I wasn't the only one. So, But I looked a lot older. So 11, I passed for 18. So that meant I was getting a lot of attention from the opposite sex. I didn't know how to handle. At 11? At 11. I had to go back to Great Ormond Street Hospital twice a year until the age of 14 for checkups. So that meant being stripped naked, put on a bed, legs in stirrups, internal examination with a man in a white coat. And because Great Ormond Street is a teaching hospital, there were 10 male students standing around the end of the bed looking at me. And my mother wasn't allowed to come in and hold my hand. Oh, my God, Katie, that's horrendous. I didn't realise the impact that had on me as a female, that it led me to have certain beliefs about my value as a woman growing up, which led me to make various mistakes with men, like married and divorced twice in my 20s. So I was sitting there at 31 thinking, oh, that was an interesting decade. (laughs) What's going on there? Yeah. (laughs) But so did your hormones then feel like they were just the only thing governing your life and presumably felt like your enemy? You know, your body was working against you. How did you feel about your own body, having had, as you said, been under a microscope for so long by so many male gazes in every aspect, whether it's medical or or unwanted male gaze from just people around? How did that make you feel about your body? I disassociated myself from my body and I recognised that until quite recently, until my most recent relationship that I'm still in, I couldn't be intimate with a man because I left my body. So whenever intimacy presented itself, I came out of my body and I left the room and I came back in when it was over because it sparked so many memories. So anything that was concerned with my body from an intimate point of view, I left the room. Presumably from being legs akimbo as a small child, you needed to leave the room to make that possible. Yeah. So that had an impact on on how I valued myself, I think. Yeah, of course it would. Of course it would. And so if your hormones had always governed you and you felt sort of a prisoner in your body, I'm putting words in your mouth, I don't know whether you did feel a prisoner in your body. Did you look forward to your menopause as the end of this hormonal roller coaster, or was it something that just didn't occur to you like it doesn't occur to any woman until it happens? I couldn't wait, India. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) And bizarrely, I had a late menopause. Now, you see, this is something that I think is fascinating. I was always under the impression that you have a finite amount of eggs. So you assume if you start early, start your periods early, you would have an early menopause. But you didn't. You had a late menopause. Yeah, clearly the universe had other plans for me. (laughs) (laughs) which they decided not to share with me, (laughs) found out by default. So the average reproductive lifespan of most women from puberty to postmenopause is 35 to 40 years. And I had 53 years because I wasn't officially postmenopausal until 58. And the average is 51. It is late. Yeah, seven years later than the average. And so how was your menopause then? Did you think, well, this is going to be much better? I was both lucky and unlucky. I was unlucky because I was in the one in four women who were on the edge. 
So it's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to be horrendous. One in four women sail through yeah, and one in four don't. And then you've got 50% in the middle, somewhere in the middle. I was in the one in four where it was unbelievably challenging. So that's the unlucky bit. The lucky bit is if I had sailed through, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing now with women. So I'm grateful that I struggled. It led me on to doing the work I do now. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. So what were your symptoms? I was having hot flushes and night sweats. So I recognised that, although not every woman experiences them, but it is the most common symptom, potential symptom. And were they early on? Were they one of the first symptoms that you'd noticed? No. Because I was told that they, they're quite a late symptom, actually, all those the physical symptoms. They are. They are. The perimenopause kicks in up to 10 years before the menopause, which from a medical point of view is a day. The majority of women won't realise that they are in the perimenopausal stage until about three years before the menopause, because at the beginning of the process, symptoms will come and go. They're mild. They could be down to other things. And they don't really land. It's only the closer we get to that cutoff point that the body thinks, oh, hello, we're running out of time and everything starts to crank up. And that's when women think, oh, I'm going through the menopause. And what they haven't realised is that they've actually been going through it for the last seven or eight years. So it started off with the hot flushes. As the first thing you recognised as menopausal because it's the cast iron, oh, I know what this is. I didn't realise that everything else I was experiencing was the perimenopause as well. Because when I was going through it, which is a while ago now, Nobody was talking about it. So I didn't realise that the fact that one day I was a competent, confident businesswoman and it felt like 24 hours later I was a gibbering wreck. I mean, it wasn't that sudden, but it felt that sudden that I couldn't remember what I was saying at training courses that I've been delivering for 20 years, that my moods were all over the place. I was crying over over nothing. I was had irrational anger. <laughs> I was no longer in control of my voice box. <laughs> my memory, (laughs) my moods, (laughs) and anything else. Sex hurts, which was, I just started a new relationship. And every single time it was excruciating. And I thought there was something wrong with me because I'd never experienced that before. So I didn't know what was going on. I'd never heard the term vaginal atrophy. And I had no idea that the fact that actually a few times the vaginal walls have got so thin that they tore and they made me bleed. And I had no idea that was part of the, the perimenopause. No idea at all. Something medically wrong with me you know what's going on here I've met the man I'm meant to be with psychologically am I blocking this yeah am I pushing him away yeah what what is going on and it was when I found myself researching suicide that I knew something had to change because because I couldn't understand what was happening to me there was no in my head there was no logical explanation because everything in my life was great I couldn't explain it to the people who cared about me. So I was getting angry and frustrated with myself because there was nothing I could hang it on to. So you were at the top of your game. You'd been doing your training courses for sort of 20 years. You were flying. You're in a loving new relationship. So everything was going really well. And yet you were researching suicide. What what brought you to that? I can remember I live in St. Leonard's on Sea and I live in a top floor flat at the top of a hill. So from my kitchen and sitting room I can see Beachy Head, the South Downs, English Channel, gorgeous. And I can remember standing in the kitchen waiting for the kettle to boil one day. So when I'm not out training, I work from home. And I felt my body leave I, I came out of my body and I saw myself floating off out of the kitchen window. And I saw myself disappearing over the South Downs and getting further and further and further away. And I thought, okay, this is what I feel like. I'm losing myself. 
and I'm never going to get myself back again. I can't spend the next 40 odd years feeling like this. I, I don't know where I've gone. I don't know what's happened. I, I cannot do this anymore. My body aches. I'm no longer walking because I'm constantly exhausted and my body hurts. I don't know what's happening to me. There's no explanation for it. I can't do this for the next 40 years. Yeah, you're not the person that you knew you were. Yeah, you don't feel you. Yeah. And it was at that point, I thought, okay, I, I still don't know what's going on, but I need to do something. And it was only a chance conversation with the girlfriend over coffee, a couple of, literally a couple of days after that, that she'd mentioned she'd been to see a gynecologist. I thought, ah, ha. <laughs> Suddenly, it all started falling into place. So that's what it is. Who knew? <laughs> and your friend had gone to see a gynecologist to get HRT or just to see what it was? To go on HRT. Right. Because she was struggling. Did she talk to you about her experiences as well? Yeah. We hadn't discussed up to that point. No, I was about to say, was it a moment of latching onto one another and going, oh my God, someone else is feeling the same as I am? <laughs> Give me his lumber. Give it to me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so then what did you do once you'd given it a name? Because that's the thing, isn't it? I think giving it a name, realising that it's not just you going mad or not just you failing in life or failing to cope where everyone else around you feels like they're coping brilliantly. Giving it a name is such an important thing. You can go, oh, I can do something about this. Absolutely. Once I knew what I was dealing with, I then knew I had options. And it was the perceived lack of options that was the most derailing. So the first thing I did was finish the coffee very quickly and say, love you, Jude, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go and ring this number. <laughs> Made an appointment, which I had to wait three months for. But actually, interestingly, those three months, every day I woke up, that pinprick of light at the end of the tunnel was imperceptibly bigger because I knew I was 24 hours closer to salvation. I just had to hang on in there because I knew what I was dealing with now. There is an answer. Now you know. So that was interesting. The psychological impact of knowing what I was dealing with and I had taken steps to do something about it actually did an awful lot to alleviate some of the symptoms. Yeah, feeling in control again. Because I think that's what so many women say. Where have I gone? What is going on? I'm out of control and I'm not in control of my own body or my emotions. Yeah, so you were back in control. So it was a relief when I finally went to see the gynaecologist, which was in the June of that year. And he put me on HRT, including testosterone. I was lucky that I went to see an amazing man who sadly died last year. So when I saw him, he was in his 70s then, Professor Studd, who was absolutely at the beginning of HRT for women back in the 50s. So, you know, he was decades ahead of his time to talk about going to see the main man. I was really lucky that Jude happened to stumble across the main man and gave me his number. So what did you do? So you did... Oestrogen, were you doing progesterone as well? Had you finished your periods by this point? Well, I thought I might have done. I saw him in the June. I'd had a period in the May. So he said, no, you're still perimenopausal. And so did you do a patch, a gel? I did the gel. For your oestrogen? Yeah. What did you do for your progesterone? Marina coil. And the testosterone was a, a gel, was it? Yeah, I actually got the only one that's been manufactured for women, which you can only get privately, sadly. It's not available on the NHS, which is Androfem. So I went straight onto that. Yeah, the Australian one. I love the fact that you said actually just the psychological thing of knowing that I was about to do something about it was alleviating symptoms. Which symptoms did you feel started to alleviate in those three months prior to the actual appointment? 
the depression lifted. And I think it was the depression that was the scariest for me because the depression was mixed between the hormonal impact, what was going on, and the impact it has on your emotional well-being. So that bit I couldn't control. But the other bit of the depression was not understanding what was happening to me and the belief that I couldn't do anything about it. So the fact that I knew what was happening and I knew I could do something about it, that part of the depression and the emotional well-being was lifted immediately. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? I think it is that thing of feeling that doing something. And so how quickly did the HRT start to work in alleviating your symptoms? The hot flushes stopped in 24 hours and I can't tell you the relief. The first time in three years I slept through the night. How many hot flushes were you having and were they night sweats or were they hot flushes? Both. 20 to 30 a day. But I also, again, interestingly, I didn't allow them to get the better of me. And it's interesting now that CBT is being shown to work. You know, if we start to panic, we have a hot flush coming on, the chances are it's going to exacerbate it. So I thought, okay, this is happening. It's fine. It won't last forever. It will go. And I I talked myself through it rather than getting anxious. So rather than getting anxious that I was turning into a lobster in front of people, I thought, well, if I am, I am. Nothing I can do about it. So, you know, tough. (laughs) Won't last. So many people say that actually everyone else doesn't notice. Exactly. They don't. They're way worse for you. You feel they're way worse. So that was fine. I just just rode through it. I mean, they did turn up at very inconvenient times on occasion. (laughs) Suddenly I was pushing pushing my partner off of me and running to the kitchen to stick my head in the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it wasn't always convenient. (laughs) But, you know, you just, I just kind of breathe through it. So they stopped immediately. So that was a huge relief. Everything else took about three months. I gradually noticed the aches diminishing. I noticed the anxiety leaving. I noticed my confidence coming back, uh, my energy coming back. I started walking again. I found myself coming back into myself. It was nine months later, we were on holiday in Slovenia, which is my favourite place, has been for 20 years, walking up mountains. And we were walking up a mountain and I suddenly stopped dead, uh, which wasn't most convenient because he was like two steps behind me. And I suddenly stopped and said, oh my God, nine months ago, there is no way I would even consider doing this because I was so utterly exhausted. And aching joints and things like that. Did you suffer from that? Yeah, I couldn't have done this. And we booked the holiday. I'm here and I haven't given it a second thought. That's when it hit me. I was back. Yeah. And then that allows you to do all the other lifestyle things, doesn't it? It it gives you your life back. Oh, my gosh. I really did. really did. In fact, I was a better version before the perimenopause kicked in. Now, you see, this is interesting. This is what I really want to talk to you about, because this is what I loved in your TED Talk, was your absolute enthusiasm for life the other side and you know the the journey that menopause takes us on actually creates a better version of ourselves and I love that. Well India to be honest the menopause needs a serious PR makeover it really does yes it can be challenging but only for 25% of women who go through it so it's not a foregone conclusion and even if you are unlucky enough to be in that 25% life on the other side is so amazing. I cannot recommend postmenopause strongly enough. I look at women are still having periods. I think, oh, shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor you. <laughs> Poor you. You'll catch up with me one day. Yeah. It's fine. It's, you know, I didn't realise how much energy it took to navigate my hormones every 28 days until I no longer had to because we just get on with it, don't we? You know, we have no choice. We get on with it. It's part and parcel of being female. 
that's life. You know, this is a card we've been dealt and we just get on with it and we navigate our life around them. Suddenly, I didn't have to do that anymore. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't have to think. Look at my, my diary, my menstrual diary, and avoid those three days to deliver a training course because I knew I wouldn't be operating at my best. I can deliver a training course any day I want. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> so all of that energy I could suddenly redirect into other areas of my life. You know, and I think now at 63, I'm so much more visible than I was at 33. So much more visible. Women who say I'm invisible, only if you consciously choose to. And if you do, that's absolutely fine. It's your choice. If you choose to be invisible at any age, if you have chosen that, nobody can tell you that's not the right thing to do. However, only be invisible if you have chosen to be not because it's a label that somebody else has felt inclined to project onto you. They're entitled to their opinion and you're entitled to completely disagree with them, which I do on a regular and frequent basis. <laughs> Women are at their most powerful and their most potent post-menopause because all of their energy can be redirected. They have decades worth of experience, expertise, pizzazz, kick-ass awesomeness, and suddenly their life is theirs. I have far less invested in the opinions of others. I choose to live my life according to my values. I'm no longer trying to please people to the same degree that I was. I've finally stepped into being the woman I was born to be. So postmenopause allows you to step into your power and use it without embarrassment. Go out there and sock it to them because if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Absolutely. I love that. And it's embracing this next chapter of life. And I love that you say it's your choice to be invisible because I think we're told, you know, our society is so youth obsessed, isn't it? That you're sort of told there's no value to you. And that for me is the be more orca thing. Actually, we should learn from killer whales. They realise their value. And so many women are leaving workforces when they're at the top of their game because of the menopausal symptoms. And they don't have to. This is a, a huge wealth of experience and knowledge that is just being lost. And the world needs menopausal women, as you say. It really, really does. It really does. We take people through a really interesting exercise, which I do with, with women at midlife. And it's based on Japanese ikigai. And it's looking at your meaning and purpose in life. So it's what are your natural skills and talents? What are you really good at? What are your passions? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And what do you think the world needs? Now, the world could be just the world going on inside your head. It could be your family, your social circle, or it could be the world. You know, that's for you to define. Then where all of those cross over is like a bit of like a Venn diagram. So the bit in the middle where your strengths, your passions and what you think the world needs all meet is your meaning and purpose in life. And in Japan, they call it ikigai. It's your, your reason for turning up every day, why you're here. Uh, and I've realized now that I'm living my ikigai. I'm living my meaning and purpose in life. I've taken what I'm good at because I've proved it to myself over 63 years what I'm good at. I know what I'm passionate about, which is other people and giving them the tools to be awesome. And I think the world needs to move away from fear of not being good enough. I bring all of those together and it's what I do for a living. So it's a wonderful time. You know, I say it's a bit like walking up a mountain. Life is a bit like walking up a mountain. And we're always focused on the top and how far we've got to go. When you reach postmenopause, you can press the pause button, you can stop the climb, you can turn round, look back down to the ground and recognise how far you've already come. 
then relook at the peak and think, okay, what's the rest of this climb going to look like? According to me, not according to other people. So it's a really liberating time for everybody, actually, for men at midlife, as well as women going through the menopause, to reassess our values, reassess who we are, and live life according to our rules, not other people's. I love that. That's just so good. You've talked about your training. So you give a training course for... We do a couple. One is menopause demystified. So I am going through the menopause myself. I did all my research, linked up with clinical partners, et cetera, et cetera. Developed the course, took it to our clients. And within six months, it was 80% of what the company delivered. Because <laughs> the demand was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this was a long time ago, nearly 10 years ago. So that's aimed at people going through the menopause. So it's what are your hormones? What is the menopause? What are the potential experiences? How does it impact you? Then the middle bit is all about HRT. And the final bit is non-medical because HRT isn't the right for every woman. You know, some women medically can't go on it. Some women choose not to go on it. Some women, it just don't get on with it. You know, it's not the answer. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, it's not a magic bullet. A lot of women say how amazing it's been. And I'm very vocal about how it's changed me. And you you were saying how it transformed you. But it is a personal choice. Absolutely. And I think it is that thing if it's very unfair for the women who choose not to or can't to feel that, oh, well, they've got no other choices then. So what do you talk about in your non-medical side of things? I talk about the place of supplements and how to use them wisely and the potential contraindications. So, you know, not not just to bung in as part of your weekly shop at a supermarket, because you can get them now from supermarkets, but actually to do proper research of the ones that may be helpful and what may be deficient, the importance of good nutrition, the importance of moving, keeping the body moving, alternative therapies, essential oils. Interesting that the British Menopause Society mention acupuncture and yoga and cognitive behavioural therapy as being viable alternatives to HRT for women who choose not to or are unable to go on to HRT. Yeah, certainly for hot flushes and things. So talk about all of that and then finish on the second spring, which is how they refer to midlife in Asia. So invite women to start celebrating their second spring. When you were talking about Ikigai, I thought, oh, we see that's Japanese, isn't it? And it is that thing of that whole Asian, their cultural differences. They see the importance and the thought of a second spring is just such a lovely phrase. Delightful. And it's making us both smile and it makes you feel way more positive. And so I think that has a massive effect. As you say, how you view your own menopause has a huge effect on how it's going to be moving forward. Yeah. And um, what advice would you give to women then who are starting to go through it or questioning whether they're going through it? I say to all women, because a lot of women say to me, is this the menopause or is it just life? I said, well, it's a combination. You know, if the last couple of years has shown us anything, is that life will throw us curveballs regardless of age or gender. And life will continue to throw us curveballs. But what can happen when you're going through the perimenopause is that those curveballs, rather than being manageable, suddenly look like a mountain that you can't find your way over. So life gets exacerbated and, and feels more daunting. So to start to keep perhaps a, a journal or a diary of things that are outside your normal. So I say to every every person, know your normal. So know how your body feels when it's working at its optimum. Know how your mind feels when it's working at its optimum. So know your normal. And whenever you experience something that is outside your normal, just be consciously aware of it. So that's about tuning into your body and knowing your own body well. Because a lot of women can be 
brushed aside, well, that's normal for your age. So the thing is to come back and say, well, it might be normal for the average, but it's not my normal. Yeah. Knowing that you know your own body and trusting that you know your own body. Because I've spoken to so many women that say, you know, sort of the GP or someone said, oh, no, 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 don't be silly. And you're like, I know something's wrong with me. This isn't me. And so having the knowledge, as you say, very good to journalise it because then you've got, no, look, X, Y and Z, you can actually say. And then... Don't be frightened to have that conversation in the surgery. And the, the trick for a good conversation in the surgery is to go in knowing more than the GP. So do your research, print off the nice guidelines for the menopause, read it. Are there any other research places you would recommend? British Menopause Society is really good and the Women's Health Concern, which is the patient arm of the British Menopause Society. And they have loads of really, really good fact sheets as well. You can go into the British Menopause Society and put in your postcode and they will bring up a list of GPs and practices who are members. So you can find a member of the British Menopause Society who's close to where you live. So that would be a GP who has menopause knowledge close to you and presumably any specific menopause specialist clinics near you. Yes. Okay, that's a brilliant piece of... I will put all of these in the show notes, obviously. (laughs) So that's really good. And then just to do what is right for you. It's interesting, I did a research project last year on personality and menopause and how your personality may influence your navigation of your menopause because that's also my background. I've got my own personality profiling tool that I created decades ago. So I had 100 women. I gave them a menopause questionnaire that I developed and they completed the core matrix, which is the personality profiling tool. And then I mapped the responses and then I interviewed same number for each of the four personality styles and asked them exactly the same questions. And the answers were fascinating. So I had a a woman who was very, very rational who said, I went to see my GP. All the GP did for the whole 10 minutes was sit there with his head on one side and nod and ask me how I was feeling. It irritated the hell out of me. All I wanted to know was what was wrong with me. Give me a prescription so I can get out. I was speaking to a very collaborative woman who's the opposite side of the the circle and said, I went to see my GP. She didn't make eye contact with me once. All she did was hand me a prescription and left. All I wanted was somebody to listen to me for 10 minutes. I thought if they could have swapped GPs, they would have had the perfect experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you understand your personality and how you approach this time of your life, it then empowers you to make the choices that are right for you. So finding a tribe of women to speak to for some women will be perfect for other women. That's their idea of hell. They don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) So don't feel obliged to do what other people are doing. Do what is right for you. For some women, experimenting and seeing it as a troubleshooting incident is great. For other people, doing their research and being very structured about it is what they need to do. They need to get their evidence-based information, et cetera, et cetera. So understand yourself and do what is right for you and don't compare yourself to other people because what's right for them is fantastic but it might not be the route through that's most appropriate for you. Yeah, and we need to, at this time of our lives, more than any other, know ourselves and know what we need to get us through our own experience. We need to become the experts in our own menopause. And give yourself permission to go on HRT and give yourself permission not to go on HRT and to not get drawn into extreme debates, which I think at the moment is really, really important. Yeah. There are two camps of thinking at the moment and as with anybody who has a very very strong belief in something whatever that is 
they may not be able to hear the opposite. Seems to be all that's happening at the moment. You're either black or you're white. With everything. everything. With everything. And the important thing is your menopause journey is unique to you. There is no black and white. You are likely to fall into the grey bit in the middle. So I would say try and avoid extreme thinking in any direction and address anything that you read with an element of critical thinking and then do what is right for you. And research into what you feel is important. Yeah, so balanced information is really important. And that's what I try and put out. Women say to me, do you recommend I go on HRT? Then I say, I don't recommend anything. I will never recommend anything. I recommend that you do your own research and that you do what is right for you. And know your own body so that you know what's right for you and don't feel judged. Absolutely. I certainly felt it. I felt I'd failed slightly by going on HRT. It's that thing of, oh, I should have been able to cope with this. And actually then I took HRT and was like, oh my God, I'm now, I am now able to cope with this because I've got myself back, got clarity back again. It's important that women don't feel guilty if they do go on HRT and equally important that they don't feel guilty if they don't. Yeah, we need to stop the guilt. Make the decision that is right for you and ignore everybody else. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Ignore what's said to you. (laughs) Even your doctor. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's what's great and I feel it off you and I feel it starting to burgeon in myself is as we go through the menopause, there is much less of the feeling that actually I need to take on board everyone else's opinions. It's like, actually, do you know what? This is my time and I'm going to do it for myself now. And I'm aware that I've taken up more of your time than I meant to. What would you like to end on? Give us some wonderful, positive, orca stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think every human being is born with their own light, their own inner light and star that they shine on the world and I would say to women going through the menopause is stop being embarrassed by your light and take off any shackles that may be hiding it and step positively with two feet firmly rooted to the ground and radiate that light as bright as you possibly can because you are at your most powerful you're at your most potent and the world needs you like the world has never needed you before so Do not hide your light for a nanosecond longer. What a brilliant, brilliant message to end on. Katie, thank you so, so much. You are an absolute inspiration. Thank you. Oh, it's been so much fun. (laughs) I could could talk to you all day. (laughs) Thank you. Told you you'd be smiling. I can't thank Katie enough for being so amazingly open and honest in her retelling of her story. Next time, I'm talking to the irrepressible Suzanne Ball about her oestrogen-positive breast cancer diagnosis in 2020 and being thrown into a medical menopause. All that, coupled with her disability, made it doubly hard to pick apart her symptoms. Add a global pandemic into the mix, it gave Suzanne some really tough conversations and hard choices. But as ever, she came out fighting. If you want to be more Orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk. For all the latest on what's coming up, I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news. And become a member 
Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you, so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe, as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary.